Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my off-season partners in, in futility. First up, he's a writer for the King's Herald and our podcast whiz here, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will and Jerry, good morning. Um, Low-stress podcast today. No Kings basketball, just some some general stuff, some <laughs> cleanup, but, but no stress, no losses to worry about, none of that. The Kings haven't been stressful in a long time for me. <laughs> the stress part of me died 10 years ago. Um, he's a uh, he's a Sacramento Kings head coach. He's a former GM and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lick, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here today. How's it going? Well, it's great to, to be with you guys again, as always. Looking forward to it. And hopefully, we'll have a fun time. We, uh, we're going to start this episode um uh where we left last uh last episode in that uh some prognosticating over uh whether luke walton was going to uh to stay or go in sacramento and uh we had a really good discussion last episode on that and the factors for and against him and uh not a few hours after we recorded that episode did we uh did we get the answer to that uh luke walton will be staying for another season uh as coach of the sacramento kings um in his press conference monty mcnair cited that uh, this was his his decision alone. This was a basketball decision, not necessarily a monetary one. Um, Jerry, I want to get your opinion on this first. Uh, what do you think now that we know for sure um, about Luke staying in Sacramento for another season as the head coach? Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure what to make of it. I I'm not surprised necessarily. You know, I thought things were probably heading that way by all the different drips and drafts that, that kind of came out. Uh, before but uh I, I i honestly i don't totally believe that it's not a monetary decision i, I think that ha- i think it had a, a lot to do with it uh was it totally monty's decision i i don't necessarily believe that either to be honest with you i i mean i i'm not saying that we you know you can't know what you don't know but i i think it's uh one of those cases where uh Luke, uh, I think they had a good relationship uh, with probably with Monty, and I think that's true. And I think certainly Luke was very well liked by his players. I think that's true. So uh, I think it was probably the path of least resistance, uh, whether that's the, sure. <laughs> the the right way to go. But I think that's exactly what happened. Tony, what were your thoughts on on it coming coming out, and, and not only coming out, but coming out as quick as it did? That they didn't waste any time dragging their feet on it. Monty McNair, in fact, in his opening statement, said three sentences in, Luke Walton is our coach next year. He got it out of the way real quick. Tony, what was your opinion on that? My first takeaway from hearing Monty McNair say that, and it's because we talked about this on the podcast before, um, at the trade deadline, Monty McNair did a series of press conferences where he said nothing. And it was very vague. You know, I think... um, I think Jerry even said that he made Jeff Petrie sound like, you know, Vonnie Divock or something because he w- he gave so little <laughs> to the media. And he really gave us a lot, I thought, in his end of season stuff, including just the simple fact that you state that a coach that is under contract is coming back is sort of a, a funny thing to say. Like, you don't have Danny Ainge 
out there saying that Brad Stevens will be back or that uh, these other general managers saying that their coach who is under contract will be back. That sort of goes unsaid. It's interesting that he, he even said it, if that was going to be the result, you know, he's just under contract. You don't have to say he's going to return, but the fact that the Kings made it almost um, an announcement that he was coming back, I thought was interesting because it, it was almost like even from there, like they were almost a little bit surprised. Like it was news to them also, it, you know, it wasn't literally, but that's the fact that they presented it as news, I thought was sort of interesting when you don't really have to do that when he's already your head coach and he's already under contract. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I felt very similarly that, uh, how, how am I going to say this here? Luke Walton has become such a character in in the Sacramento melodrama that it isn't as simple as is, is the coaches coming back next year because they did a good job or not. They had to hold what was basically an hour long press conference to justify their decisions. And yeah. and he and Monty McNair made a point to answer the questions uh, very clearly as to why he's coming back. He mentioned um, that it was his relationship with players was the first thing he mentioned. He mentioned that he saw the offense take a leap this season. Um, he mentioned that Luke was open-minded about um, the things that Monty McNair wanted to try. These were things that Monty McNair didn't shy away from this time. Now that uh, the season has kind of reached a point where fans, fans were calling for blood one way or another or a decision to be made one way or another. Jerry, are these, are these things that if you were a general manager of the Sacramento Kings and you're deciding whether a coach stays or goes, do you look at relationships with players the offense taking a leap and his open-mindedness as the three core categories as to why a coach would stay or go, were there other things that you see out of Luke that you kind of go, well, yeah, sure. The offense took a leap, but that was at the, you know, that was at sacrificing a defense that was one of the worst in NBA history. Where, where do you fall on that, Jerry? Well, I mean, I, you know, to me, certainly all those things are sort of some truth to it. I mean, I think that the offense, was better you know you can look at it statistically uh his players all did seem to to like luke and I, i'm not surprised he's a very likable person uh you know and so so if that's is that a factor well it should be a factor uh uh would um, getting along with the, the general manager is that a factor well, it sure it, it can should be a fact, but I, I guess I would say maybe other factors may be more important. Uh, you know, the likability is one thing. Respect uh, is probably more important. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Also, you know, the uh, I'm a believer in analytics, and the point of the greatest analytic is one loss margin, and uh, and and one loss record, and there was, you know, no reason to be excited uh, about this season on that basis when, when in fact your team did not improve in the one loss column. And when, as I've pointed out, and I still think it's one of the most interesting things, there's five teams that were worse than the Kings last year and became significantly better. Uh, that's what I would judge it on. In other words, uh, not to say you expected huge improvement, but uh, clearly there were five teams that were worse that did have, in some cases, huge improvements and the Kings had none. So, so the, that would be the criteria that would strike me. It's like, well, how come this team didn't, you know, uh, certainly, you know, the, the rookie was outstanding. So you, you gained there or Holmes had a career year. You had some, some, 
Harrison Barnes. Now you also lost a really good player in bogey, uh, but you did have some really De'Aaron Fox had a career year. All these things sort of happened, and yet you're still talking about the same record. Well, uh, that in my mind that has to you have to come up with some reasons for that, and and uh, and and the coach, the head coach, you know, it has to be accounted for there in that regard. I mean, because I like I said, I mean, you look at the five teams that were worse, and now they're better. And invariably, it was it was it was almost none were due to rookie help. I mean, just but so it's trade trades, free agency, and coaching changes. And uh, you know, I mean, you so those are the three things. You well, know, the Kings really did have a good rookie. Uh, didn't make any difference record wise. Uh, trades, you know, didn't make any difference record wise. And so there you are. You bring up an interesting point there. I wonder if we'd still be hearing this press conference and or seeing Luke Walton back for another season, if Tyrese Halliburton had a regular rookie season, instead of being an outstanding rookie, if he was just a decent rookie to good rookie, would, would that be enough to have gotten Luke Walton the can? And, and I think that's one of those points where the people like to talk about, Oh, we lost bogey, but we swapped in Tyrese Halliburton and the record stayed the same. But if, Tyrese was just a regular rookie instead of a, a rookie of the year candidate. How, how much a difference do you think that would have made? Well, I think it made a difference. You know, I mean, I mean, that, I think Tyrese had such a good year and certainly he and Fox show so much potential that it's, that it's kind of easy to gloss over some other things. And as you said, I mean, it's one of those things where people say, well, you lost bogey, but you, you gained Halliburton. Well, yeah, that's true, but you you didn't know that at the start. Yes. <laughs> you, right. you, I mean, that's that's a, a ultimate uh, Monday morning quarterback. And, <laughs> oh, you knew you knew you're going to tell me you knew in uh, in uh, October or whatever that that Halliburton was going to be the caliber player he was. I mean, I, I don't believe that. Uh, I mean, it. He, I think he exceeded anybody's best estimates there how that went, but but he did and and. You know, so 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 I think that you know, I mean, it, there's no doubt you you have to give uh, you know give that guard line some some pass there because in my mind and, and that certainly from Monty's standpoint may be part of his thinking there uh, is that we've got our guard line for the future pretty well lined up and we're good there uh, and they like the coach and the coach likes them I I don't know but. All I know is the 31 and 41 is 31 and 41. And if it's 31, 41 next year, that will be the exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe I'm um, being too pessimistic about that record, Jerry, but even that I feel like sounds a little bit better than the season went. I mean, at the end of the season press conferences, you had uh, McNair sort of praising like the end of season improvements that the team made, but it's like, if you really boil it down and look at the teams they played at the end of the year, they beat the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder three times who were not trying to win games. And, you know, to to give that, I mean, I, I actually really enjoyed Monty McNair's press conference. It, it turned me around on him a little bit. But the one part that I wasn't a huge fan of was any sort of praise for how the Kings finished the year when it was without their best player. So it's like, all right, so you're, you're saying, you know, you're better without your, your best guys. And then also you're better when you're beaten up on the thunder and you're better at the end of the year when the games don't matter and you're out of the playoff race and you're just sort of out there fooling around. Like, 
are we real? Is that a legitimate reason? Or are you just sort of saying things to make us feel better about what you did? Um, Because other than that, I thought McNair made some good points and some good arguments for keeping Walton. But it's that, and I've heard this narrative from people outside of McNair, just this, how the Kings finished so strong. And I just want to say, like, did they really finish that strong? Like, look at the teams they played and look at who was on the court for them. So that's the part, the one part of this whole thing that sort of still grinds me, but I I guess I can let it go. It is the offseason after all. The only thing that kind of grinds me a little on that, and, and I agree with your points here, you know, obviously Oklahoma City Thunder uh, worked, you know, they were terrible because they didn't want to win and, and didn't play with their best players either. So you're playing a team that doesn't want to win uh, without their best players and, you know, and the Kings didn't have theirs. But but I guess I guess my my real problem was with this, with the uh, the San Antonio game. It was the game. It was the game. And, 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 you know, the yes. game you had to win at home and you win that, you probably, you know, get to play yeah. in. Well, and they came out and, you know, crapped yes. on themselves. Uh, and, and I, I've, conv- and I've contended all along and I, and I'll stay with this is that, that the talent level of San Antonio is not as good as the Kings. The Kings just simply are having more talent on the roster. Mm-hmm. Now, what's that? That's not saying a lot, but I'm just saying I think it's a true statement. But in fairness to the Spurs, you know, uh, they ended where they ended, but and they were able to come into Sacramento in the so really the biggest game of the year for both teams. Yeah, Jerry, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the other point I I forgot about when you talk about that 31 and 41 record. Every game that mattered, there was one against the Spurs. There was a couple before the All-Star break. There was another one against Memphis. Anytime they had a game against a team that was right above or below them where you could make some distance or gain some ground, they came out horribly. They weren't even close games. They were getting blown out in those games. So maybe we shouldn't consider the impact three wins against the Thunder mean at the end of the year as much as these three or four really important big games where, where there was a lot of energy in Sacramento, even despite all the losing, like, Oh, we're, we're getting like, people were getting into it. I was on Twitter. I, I talked to Kings fans. We were getting into the playoff run. And anytime they came to a big game, a big moment in that run, it was not, it was a no contest. They came out so flat and didn't compete. So um, that's the part that, that grinds me, like you were saying, Jerry, but I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I meant to mention that too. I, I hate being the, uh, the devil's advocate, especially when it's uh, when it comes to talking about this particular coaching staff and this particular team, even, but there are also games near the end there where they beat Dallas twice. And I can very, I mean, I can see where, where they look at the uh, Oklahoma city games and they go, okay, those were gimmies, but they also went up against Dallas three times where they were not expected to win either of those three games. One game um, with Fox, they won, and then they had Tyrese leading them through one, and then Tyrese gets injured, and then they beat him again without either of those two guys. And I can see them piecing that together at least and saying, okay, that was that was a moment for some of our bench players to come out and perform, and they did. And then there was the Laker game near the end of the season too, where they beat the Lakers, where LeBron had just come back from his ankle injury, and he was, you know, they were supposedly at full strength. So I can see, uh, I'm not necessarily defending that that thought process. I can only see where they would make that thought, where they go, well, the three against Oklahoma City, we should have won absolutely, but we shouldn't have won, you know two or three against Dallas and one against the Lakers. And so that kind of evens it out in their mind. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Is that, is that a valid excuse, Jerry? Can I, can I, can I play that, uh, that card and say, well, they did beat Dallas three times and they did, they did beat the Lakers with LeBron. Yeah. I think you can play it. I, I mean, I, I still think though, there are games where, you know, you know, this is the game we must win. And, and that was not true with, 
the ones you mentioned, I mean, not that they didn't have effect. And, and certainly the, the Dallas thing, yeah, you know, three wins against Dallas, had success against Denver. You can point that out. You also, you know, got beat at home by the friggin' Pistons. And, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and, and the Lakers without LeBron and, and Davis, you know, that sort of thing. So, so there's, there's those, you know, where I always said, too, the Piston game at home is probably one of the low points for me because Corey Joseph was the best player on the floor and he had, yes. had, a, and he had a Piston uniform on, for God's sakes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, so you, you know, I mean, during the course of a season, where I said, you know, the schedule wins you games and it loses you games. You know, it depends on on some of those things. But I, I think the, when we look at the season, you know, we can always talk about the nine game winning streaks, the nine game losing streaks, or whatever. Uh, but but the record is the record, and and there were too many, in my mind, flat games against teams that you must beat. Uh, you know, I mean, we we look at games like you know, which was a kind of a fluke loss to Charlotte at home. But then we had a fluke win against Cleveland at home. You know, I mean, really, you couldn't slice those e either way. I mean, Cleveland had the game one and managed to lose it. And, and the Kings had the game one against Charlotte and managed to lose it. Had to, uh, So they, those kind of tend to, but, but I guess my point as much as anything else is the fact is, is, it's Cleveland and you're, you know, why would it come down to a, a play like that? You know, so that, yeah. so yeah, I thought is a, I mean, I'm certainly an expert on disappointing seasons and, and uh, I've had a lot to do with a lot of them, but, but I, for, for what was expected this year, uh, I think this was one of the more disappointing and, and I, and I, and I just go back to it was defense. It was defense day one. It was defense last day that, that this team scored and scored enough and well enough to, to be a, a certainly maybe not a, a play in team for sure, because they had, they, they had some offensive talent on this team. And, and, and having said that, I, I mean, we saw them play defense periodically. It was just never consistent any consistent effort on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, and you just didn't know when you were going to see it or not see it. I mean, I mean, defense is hard to play in the NBA harder than ever, but, but this team just gave up too many open threes, too many straight line drives, almost on a game by game basis. Just, just because uh, we were, we were talking about that Spurs game, the Kings took a lead into the fourth quarter against that Spurs team and then gave up 35 points in the fourth quarter and lost by 12. And it's just one of those things that you're right, that, that, uh, that we are, the Kings were extremely close. They were one quarter of basketball away, hypothetically from being the play in team and, and couldn't, couldn't get it done. And so I, I wonder, one of the other reasons that Monty mentioned was continuity. And I wonder how much continuity in this case is a good thing. Uh, hearkening back to, to your point, Jerry, that these teams that were worse than the Kings that got better, uh, a few of them had coaching changes. The Knicks had a coaching change. The, the Hawks had their coaching change mid-season and no, no continuity yeah. at all in that. And we're still able to rise to the challenge and, and gain a playoff spot. 
And, and, and so to me, I wonder how much continuity really matters in the terms of, well, this is why we got to bring the guy back because of the continuity of, of this 31 win basketball team. How much does continuity matter, Jerry, in, in, in this case? Well, I, I think in general, you, you would like continuity. I mean, you know, you, I think patience is a virtue uh, to a point, you know, and, and, I, and hopefully, I mean, it's one of those things we'll find out. You know, we're going to find out if it, yep. if it's uh, of any value at all. Yep. I mean, certainly you understand it with, uh, in my mind, I understood it with, with Phoenix uh, staying with Monty Williams. I mean, you know, it made perfect sense. There's no reason to see where a coaching change was necessary there, even though their record wasn't very good going into the bubble. Uh, and I don't think they'd have made a change regardless. Uh, you know, but like say Nate McMillan, there's no doubt that, that that Atlanta, they made the change and it was very unpopular change around the league, you know, and, and a lot of media, you know, trying to make something out of it. But had they not made the change, they would not be in the playoffs. They 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 they, they were dead in the water and dying yeah. fast. And and uh <laughs> and and really Nate just changed everything for that team and how they played and and I think the accountability you see them they're, they're significantly better defensively. Uh, I love Washington because Trey Young is still the guy, but but he the ball is not in his hands as much. You know he he's made the Trey Young his star a little more accountable. And uh, I mean it, it seems to and Trey seems you know I've always said you know but you, you know good players really know what's really true and and uh, Trey's going along with it and. And of course, the Hawks have benefited. I, I read an article earlier about the, the, the biggest difference for Trey was that he had structure, that Lloyd Pierce allowed him to do what Trey, whatever Trey wanted to do. And it was placing Trey within a structure that allowed him to be uh, a playoff killer right now, uh, uh, really, really being the best player in that New York Knicks uh, Hawks series. And it just, Tony, uh, Talk to me here about about your opinions on the continuity because I I I I struggle from a fan perspective to to understand sometimes just just how much it matters only because I've seen guys like Tom Thibodeau step in immediately change the culture and 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 that's a culture change is what we've been waiting for in Sacramento fifteen years and and there was kind of whispers and hints of it with Mike Malone uh, George Carl kind of came in and tried something and. I don't think it really took to anybody there on the team at the time. And I'm just curious as to what you think, uh, what you think the continuity of Luke Walton being on this team uh, really, really matters to the Kings. I've always hated the, the continuity argument, but, and, and you see it all the time and you see it a lot from members of the local media where they say, you know, Oh, what do you, what do you want the Kings to do? Just fire another head coach and like cycle through more. And it's like, hold on. If you hire the right one, then you don't need to fire anybody. You know, continuity for continuity's sake doesn't do anything for me. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know, you could have, you could have stopped the cycle at Michael Malone. Where was the continuity there? You know, if you, if you made the continuity argument at that point, maybe, maybe we'd have something or with Dave Yeager or one of these coaches who may have um, showed a little bit more success either in their final season with the Kings or, or stops elsewhere um, to, to cry continuity at this stage after two years where the team has gotten worse from where they were before is a it's just a it's it's the it's the it's a bad time for a bad argument to me if you it's like what has happened in the past with this team i feel like shouldn't really be relevant to the future it's different circumstances every single year different people hiring the head coaches different players the variables are so different how can you say that you know 
the the continuity argument and stretch it back this decade of losing. It's a whole different organization, a whole different team. So, you know, if, and, but like Jerry said, we'll be proven right or wrong on this. And that's why it's kind of fun to follow along with the story. Maybe, maybe the continuity sure. argument is, is right in Luke Walton's case and, and the Kings are great next year. What I do like is that Monty McNair said, he put his name on it. He said it publicly. He said, yeah. Luke Walton is going to be the coach to get us into the playoffs. I'd be interested yes. to hear Jerry and Will, if you guys believe that prediction will be true, but whether it is or it isn't, I love that Monty McNair said it because we've been crying for accountability. And when you say something publicly like that and you make a strong statement like that, then, you know, hopefully the, the media sort of does their job where if you're right, you know, ask him questions about it and praise him for it. And if he's wrong and Luke Walton's gone at the end of the year, next year, then you've got media kind of grilling him. Hey, you said this guy was going to take us to the playoffs. What happened? What went wrong? And then we start to build a little scorecard and some accountability. And, and that, that part does excite me, even if maybe I disagree with the decision. Jerry, do you want to answer that first? Well, I do think, I mean, it, it, it is interesting. You know, I think money really did step out there and I, that's a credit to him. I, uh, you know, my feeling is it's, it's probably a, I'd look at it maybe two ways, a little bit maybe different than some. It's like, is Luke the guy to get get this team to the playoffs? He's not going to get this team to the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, that roster has to be improved. Uh, and so that has nothing to do with the coach. So uh, Monty really is on the, on the clock himself with this one, because this, this roster, there's some really nice pieces and everything, but, but we know to, to just automatically assume, well, let's just keep everybody, you know, everybody that just like they are and we'll, we'll make it next year. Well, it's possible, but that's, that's kind of fool's gold is, is, uh, because really you can look at a couple of teams even behind the Kings that they might improve at a more rapid rate. Uh, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Pelicans, for instance, or even Oklahoma City Thunder uh, with some real possibilities. So so I, I guess what I would say is Monty probably put some pressure on himself uh, because it's like, well, yeah, I don't expect Luke to make the playoffs with the exact roster that he currently has <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. That, that was the one part of the press conference, Tony, where it, I blinked pretty, pretty hard a couple of times thinking about it, because uh, if he, I, I, it's less flashy than, than a Vladi Divac quote, but that's, that's something that when Luke Walton is fired halfway through next season, every media outlet in the world is going to put that in big, bold letters with a picture of Luke Walton walking away from the Sacramento Kings stadium. There'll be a Photoshop of Luke Walton walking with his head down with Monty McNair's quote of, Luke Walton is going to be the coach that takes us to the playoffs if it doesn't go well. Um, so that, that does, that does, that's a little bit of a super team just young for me. And it's just like, Oh yeah, I would have stopped just short of saying that Monty, because if he does it, one, Jerry's right. This roster has to be improved. Luke Walton might be the coach that is leading the team when they make the playoffs, but that's going to be Monty's uh, Monty's uh, managing. That's going to get the talent necessary for that. And if there is no upgrade in talent, if this is kind of the team plus a draft pick and we'll see what we do at the trade deadline, see how they're doing, then it'll be Rex Kalamian that is the coach that leads the Kings to the playoffs. If Rex Kalamian can get his switching scheme uh, in, into the minds of Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox and the rest of these guys and their defense improves from 29th or 30th to you know, 20th, then they might make the playoffs, but that, I mean, Luke Walton is the head coach. Sure. But that, that onus is on Rex Kalamian in my mind, that it's the defense 
that that really 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 needs to improve here and luke will get the credit for that sure but i i worried about that one that one was like a oh monty i, I would have just stopped just short of saying it it was rather bold and i do appreciate it especially being a, a member of a an outlet that talks about the kings because then it's like okay well we've got you on one like now we've got something for you bud but it is all well if i were a if i were monty mcnair's uh agent or wife i would have been like you maybe should have just pulled back the reins on just that one thing <laughs> So, uh, so let's uh, let's move then. We've we've talked we've talked situations here with Luke. I I I guess we could bring up one more thing before I move on, and that was a uh, I think it was a report by uh, Sean Cunningham that said that one of the reasons Luke Walton's job got a bit safer was Chris Finch uh, was hired midseason by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Finch and McNair worked together in 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 Houston. Um, a, back when uh, Monty was uh, an assistant general manager, Finch being hired by the Timberwolves. Uh, he, uh, he had some success with the Timberwolves. Uh, they got 16 of their 23 wins once Chris Finch took over. Uh, Jerry, do you, do, you, do you feel like this could be another reason as to why Luke was saved for at least another year? That, that the guy that, that they had pinned as oh, the next head coach of the Kings just got swooped by another team? Well, I, I think it, probably has a tiny bit of uh, merit to it. I mean, uh, certainly Finch, you know, due to his relationship with money, they knew one another. And, and I think a lot of people were, were high on uh, Chris as a potential head coach and obviously Minnesota uh, moved first and, and he did improve that team, which wasn't hard. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it was, uh, sure. you know, uh, little yeah. shoes to fill, but uh, he did that. And, but uh, I mean, and, and the other part I, I do, agree with this like you know if you're going to change coaches you need to have some idea who's better you know sure. in the old change oh let's just let's just get rid of this guy and and you know everybody's got some ideas of, of well let's hire so-and-so because he knows so-and-so or he's been on somebody's bench and he's the hot assistant or whatever and you know all that we don't want any retreads and it's like oh really you don't want Tom Thibodeau uh, okay you know retread like that uh, or Rick Carlisle or somebody so I, I mean I, I always said I mean I, I think that you, what you don't want to do is just change change coaches unless you've got some idea who might be available that you're confident is better and even there it's to me, confidence in a coaching hire is like confidence in a draft pick. Right. <laughs> you know, you you can be confident until you're not. You know. So let's uh, let's move on from there then. I I just wanted to get Jerry's opinion on that only because that was that was a little dangling Chad somewhere out there and and I didn't want to move without talking about that. So um, the other big news in Kings in uh, Kingsland was the NBA draft lottery. Uh, the Kings had a three way tie for their positioning and there was a. Uh, coin flip involved and the Kings wound up with the uh, ninth best odds uh, for the draft lottery, which is uh, at the end of June. Um, they, they have a 20% chance, a little over a 20% chance at a top four selection. They have less than a 5% chance of taking the number one pick. There's a 46 and a half percent chance of them staying at nine and a, an almost 30% chance of them falling to 10. Jerry, what does this mean to the Kings? You're the general manager of the Kings. You've just gotten told, congratulations you got the ninth best odds where is your head at when it comes to the lottery now with the sacramento kings team well i think you you know you've got the ninth pick until till told otherwise and so uh start focusing you know on the draft and and try to think uh 
if you even if you're going to think negatively, you certainly think let's let's prepare for the top ten picks. <laughs> you know, under all circumstances, that uh, this one of our guys, and 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 whether, as we all know, that some of the very best players, you know, are available at nine and ten uh, in the history of the league. They, they always have been every year. Uh, the trick is to identify them. So, so I'd say just let's focus on identifying those guys and, and uh, as equally important, find out what that value of that potential ninth, 10th pick is to the league. Uh, uh, because, uh, you know, in our case, it may be a lot more valuable to us uh, than it is to the, I mean, to, to move it or to see if we can sure. strengthen our team you know, with uh, the pick a different way. That was my next question, Jerry. And where are you leaning in terms of um, trading the pick for a, uh, for a valuable player? What kind of value would you have to get back for a ninth pick like that? Or do you, would you rather keep that uh, draft somebody of, of talent to grow with the Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah. You, if you knew you could get somebody that, that, you know, like a Halliburton with that pick and maybe at a, a different position or whatever, I think you'd feel very comfortable in keeping it. Uh, but it's also true, uh, you know, maybe that pick and a current player uh, could generate a much better player, <laughs> you know, a player that has proven themselves to be uh, near near all-star level or, or somebody that maybe could be in the future, short future, and still relatively young. You know, I mean, I know it's kind of in today's thinking, if it's like somebody's 25 or six years old, it's like, well, my God, you got to, you know, put them out in the old people's home. They, you know, it's like the reality is that their best years, all their best years should be ahead, all, each and every one. So, so if you could get, you know, in my mind, a 25, six year old guy that already looks like he's really good and, uh, something like that that's a better quality talent uh, say equal or you know close to equal to what you have on your roster your best player uh that's how you get better i mean however you do it whether it's trades free agency or draft i mean i would say you know the suns are a great example of of what that can do uh via free agency uh you know the the hawks you know basically did it by a free agency and, and trades, you know, added talent and they got their roster got a lot better and there they are. And they're still basically a pretty young team. Tony, what are your thoughts on this? If you're asking me what I would prefer as a, as a fan, I'm okay. Taking the long road, you know, I'll, I'll take Fox, I'll take Halbert and I'll keep building through the draft. I'll keep accumulating assets. But I was also the same person on this podcast saying that I think they're going to trade Harrison Barnes. And I think they're going to trade buddy healed. The Kings have, proven under Monty McNair that they're not going in that direction. That is just not what they're doing. And you, and even keeping Luke Walton is another tell. If you were to bring in a new head coach and it's like, all right, we've got this guy for a few years, we're going to build. That's not what they're doing. They're continuing what has already been built. Luke Walton is not going to get, you know, three more years if this one isn't successful. And like Jerry and, and you guys were saying, if Monty McNair is going to put a roster with Luke Walton, where his prediction will come true, where, where Luke Walton does lead the team back to the playoffs. I don't think that road is through a draft pick this year. We all know what the cap situation is. The Kings have no room to sign anybody. They have the MLE. They can sign one, you know, mid-level player at about nine and a half million. Um, they would like to keep Rashawn Holmes, but this is not a team with cap space. This is not a team with a, with a ton of assets to trade. 
when you're trying to get better. You're not, you know, you're not trying to get rid of talent. You're trying to add talent. So one of the only ways to do that is by moving this pick. And, um, you know, obviously the, the most likely thing is the Kings keep the pick because you still need to, you know, there's things that need to happen for a trade to, to materialize. But if you just look at what the Kings have done and what they're talking about doing in the, in the near future, it does really seem like a trade with this pick um, could be coming down the road. Jerry, is there a, is there a line you set in your mind just in terms of, of who you trade or, or what you trade? Like where are your priorities in terms of a trade? Is it, is it Buddy Heald to try to move space or get space to re-sign Rashawn Holmes? Is it Marvin Bagley, who seems to be, from all accounts, kind of done with this, and the Kings seem to be kind of done with him? Uh, is it Harrison Barnes? Uh, where, where, do you, where do you draw your line in terms of we're packaging the pick with somebody? Who do you see, or what, what do you think is the best strategy there in terms of upgrading your talent there? I, I mean, I, I'd start probably, number one, is I would basically avoid talking about the Fox or Halliburton. You know, I mean, that's where it starts. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I would tell any team, let's, we can talk about anybody else. You know, anybody, you know, you, you tell me some, uh, you know, we, we have a pick and we have some good assets that we're willing to consider uh, to, to move. If it, uh, something that benefits you think benefits you and benefits us. I mean, that, that's kind of where it would be. Uh, it's like, don't, I don't want you to think that we've, there's two guys here, the rest, you know, if you, you've got interest, let's know what the interest is. And, and, and uh, you can, you know, the pick is, is part of the, uh, the availability of assets. Uh, So I think you'd have to approach that. I mean, I, I certainly think you, you would have in your own mind what you need for, let's say a Bagley and first round pick or, what you think is fair and, and close to it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go into being Danny Ainge and always think you've got to hit a home run every time. A nice solid double up the gap will be okay. Uh, but, but I mean, I, I definitely think you, you know, you, you, you can look around the league and, and basically say, you know, this, this player might be available and boy, he'd, he'd make us better than what we'd be, giving up and maybe creating cap space to keep another player that we want to keep. And so that's why you'd have to approach it because, you know, just as we've talked about how you, there's a lot of ways to, you know, to you've got to improve this roster and really the, the pick and the existing assets are the only way. And you've, you've got to, I think you've got to swing for the fences a little bit here. You know, I think it's at, it's at time and, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that, that wants, you know, go all, I don't want to get a 35 year old guy. Don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, but, but I, I like the idea of a, 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 if you can get a player, you know, is better, is better than, than what you're giving up or you think is it would fit better. Cause it's not about, it's not about quantity. The Kings have quantity. What you're looking for is quality. You know, you've got a bunch of roster guys now. You know they're, they're you and they're and they're okay, you know. But it's you need you need somebody that you can put into the equation that you can say, well, he he may be he may not be able to score like Fox, but he might be a better basketball player than Fox. That's what you need. So you, so we're still hunting a, a one. Yes, we are. Or a one A. Oh, I think we are. And that's what. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for then by packaging this pick is the hope is 
any combination of players and picks, you're looking for the one A one B combo in there somewhere. Yes, that's exactly right. And you know whether you can find that or not. I mean, and and if, and odds are you can't. It's going to be tough to do that. Sure. Uh, you maybe you can't, yeah. but if if you could, that's what you you know you need the you need the home run trade here because you're not going to get the free agent as, as Tony rightly pointed out. And, and if not, then you take, you really prepare yourself to take the pick and get the best guy you can get. That's, that, that's it. But, sure. uh, but I'd sure, I'd sure be trying hard to, uh, to, to use the pick as a, as a really a sweetener to get, to get the guy I'd like to get, I think. Tony, there seems to be, um, I mean, there seems to be multiple areas where the Kings can attack uh, this roster and, and improve it quickly. And, and one of the things, though, that they, they have to decide on is um, how much Rashawn Holmes is worth. And I feel like Rashawn Holmes is the monkey wrench in the machine of these cogs that are turning in terms of trades and getting these kinds of guys. If you want Rashawn Holmes back, you're going to have to be prepared to, to pay a price for him. Uh, in order to pay that that price, it's potential that you just have to send somebody out. You have to get rid of a Buddy Heald or a Marvin Bagley, even to make that happen. Um, is that something where you, where you potentially, and Jerry can answer this too if he wants to, where you potentially lose Marvin Bagley, or not Marvin Bagley, I'm sorry, where you lose Rashawn Holmes, um, focusing on getting this 1A, 1B player uh, because of either their contract or the draft or the, uh, the assets necessary to acquire this player? Or do we, or do you more hope for a signing of a, of a Rashawn Holmes and then operate in whatever space is left there? Where do you prioritize the Kings offseason on that? Uh, because there is no sure thing about them acquiring a player like this. As Jerry said, they're not always available. But do you take the, the bird in the hand? Or are you aiming for that one, one B player in the bush? I'm prioritizing Rashawn Holmes hopefully right now, hopefully they're already doing it. That's just me. Cause you, I mean, the, the scary part with him is he's unrestricted free agent. If you don't prioritize him, if you don't, you know, go after him, you could lose him for nothing. And then you're in a real bad spot because you have nothing to clear you. I mean, the, the luxury with Rashawn Holmes is that they can actually, if he accepts a contract under his early bird rights, they can fit him with their current salary cap situation without clearing anything. It would, it would require Holmes to take some, some sort of a discount, but he may not have an offer higher than his early bird number anyways. That would be the ideal situation for Monty McNair. I mean, the, the alternative is if you if your swing for the fences move was for someone like Sabonis, where you're adding a center into this equation and, and maybe you don't need Rashawn Holmes as much anymore. But I have a really hard time seeing this team improving without Rashawn Holmes on the roster. Having that puzzle piece there is... It, to me, it's, it's almost essential. Or you need a lot of miracles to break, right? You need a lot of <laughs> general managers to, to uh, cooperate with what you're trying to do. Because if, if Rashawn Holmes isn't here, you go from, like Jerry was saying, needing that 1B player to now you also need, you know, maybe your third or fourth best player who also is, is your center and, and one of the most efficient players on the roster. So, you know, it, it, if you're going to lose Rashawn Holmes, the amount of work that McNair needs to do to rebuild this to a playoff level roster is it would be executive of the year type uh, transactions. And maybe he has it in him, but the easiest road to me just seems keep Rashawn Holmes and then, and then play it out from there. Jerry. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think you, you've really got to keep Rashawn because I, I, you know, I'm 
I read, uh, you know, the King's Herald and, 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 and I've learned a lot of different fans have different opinions on this. Obviously, you know, some say, well, you know, if he wants more than 8 million, let him walk, you know, he's well, yeah, well, that's wonderful. Uh, but, but you've got to have somebody play center that you'd like to have somebody, if you lose Rashawn, you'd like to have somebody that's as good or better. Well, how are you going to, first of all, how are you going to do that? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, unless you get lucky in the draft and, and even Mobley, maybe, you know, there, there, there's a learning curve there. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I think you've got, to, you've got to do whatever you can to keep Holmes because he is an asset. Again, we've talked about yes. when you don't have a lot of assets and you lose them for nothing, uh, you, you know, what you get is nothing. You know, nothing plus nothing equals nothing. And uh, and so I now what what kind of offers is he going to get? I think he's going to get some significant offers because the the league sees what most of us see, that this guy is a valuable player. You know, is he is he ideal uh, in today's game? Of course not. You know, there's some there's some centers, whether you say he's the, the 14th best center or 18th best center. I, I don't know. I, all I know is that and if, if he's 18th best, if you lose him, how are you going to get better unless you get the 17th best back <laughs> yeah. some way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the odds of getting that in the draft are slim to none. And so, so I, I think you got to do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, too, I, I, I hear the same things, you know, well, you know, you might get some bonus because he's, he and uh, Miles Turner kind of play the same. Well, I can tell you one thing: Indiana ain't trading Sabonis. They might trade Miles Turner, but they ain't trading Sabonis because you know why? Sabonis is a lot better than Miles Turner. <laughs> He's very good. And, and actually, and actually, Holmes is probably better than sure. Miles Turner. Yeah. Just, just to throw that in there in the real world today. Jerry, do you? Uh, how 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 thin of a needle do you think Monty McNair has this offseason? How much how much one do you think he has up his sleeve in terms of being able to pull both Rashawn Holmes and this one A one B player? And how how uh, how do you grade him if one one gets pulled off but not the other in either direction? Well, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think it's really you know Monty's uh, you know he's a good basketball man. I think we've seen enough to say that. I mean, I. Like I say, the only thing I could disagree with him on, I would have tried to fit a way to keep bogey because it's it's just money, you know, uh, and you have a year to figure out how to use your assets from that point. <laughs> and and uh, and so, but but uh, I think you know is the trades that he's made it to break. I think we're all solid basketball type moves, and uh, but now's the tough part. You know, I mean, he certainly made a great draft. Uh, Hal Burton was there and he took him. But, but boy, uh, uh, to, you know, he's got to keep Holmes, figure out a way to keep Holmes. And the draft, if you can't make the, the trade, you know, uh, you, you really got to, the draft has got to be good again. And, and or just a, or an, or a, a lesser trade to where it's player, player, you know, Kings player Bagley for something, for instance, for something that maybe offhand won't look as good, but might actually fit better and make the team better. I mean, that type of secondary move, but so, but, but even there, what's a touch and go, but it could still make you better. 
you know, it could make you better and, and chemistry and all that could be enough better that, that fans, I think, could feel good about starting the season. <laughs> you know, that, and, and that's kind of the minimum, I think. You, you know, you've got you've to make two or three things happen to where Joe Fiduzel up there in the, in the second deck is thinking, well, I, I, I can get behind these guys. I can get behind these guys. I think the Kings have made some unpopular choices here in the last uh, year, year and a half, and they're going to really be hurting for ticket sales without some sort of splash. And I don't think re-signing Rashawn Holmes is enough of a draw to like, oh, you hear Rashawn Holmes is back. Oh, well, now that I'm standing around the water cooler hearing that, I might as well go to the Kings game. There's got to be, <laughs> there's got to be something that happens that brings you know old fans yeah. back into the mix and new fans to the stadium or to the arena and and there's a chance that that neither of these things happen i i, I truly think that there is a there is a, a very possible world where rashawn holmes gets 17 million dollars a year from 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 the charlotte hornets and just walks away and and monty mcnair has lost his second asset in a row or for the second year in a row for absolutely nothing and then he goes to trade whatever's left for Miles Turner or whoever is out there and gets rebuked or gets outbid, which is very possible. And the Kings come into next season with no center of, of interest, no, no splashy free agent, and about 3,000 people in the arena every single night. And uh, I, I just... Uh, Tony, maybe you can maybe you can help me on this a little bit. Is is the line that thin? Are we are we that close to seeing uh, uh, the apathy of Kings fans if if Monty McNair can't pull one or both of these off? I would certainly say the fan base is is yeah. They're I mean they're on edge. They've been for a while now. But I also just want to say back from like who you acquire. There are other teams, and if you watch the playoffs, it's it's pretty clear. There are other teams that are going to be in an even more desperate situation to improve and make changes than the Kings are the Kings, you know, at least the expectations are low, but um, you got the Celtics who are going to get bounced by the nets with no way to improve either, but they need to make some major moves. I was listening to um, Simmons and Rosillo this morning on my dog walk. I know some people don't like uh, Simmons, but they are plugged in in Boston. They both said that this was Marcus Smart's last game in Boston which was last night, you know, and because the Celtics are in this, uh, a similar situation where they need to make a move to get better and they don't have any wiggle room to do it. So you're going to have other desperate teams that need to shake things up. So I do think there will be opportunities for Monty McNair to reshape the roster with, you know, maybe not acquiring a guy at Darren Fox's level. But if you can get someone like a Marcus Smart who can change the chemistry of the locker room for better or worse, you know, Marcus Smart could come in here and it could be a disaster, but he could also come in here and give the Kings the exact sort of toughness and kind of an asshole that they need. So I do think there are ways that you can improve on the fringes and, and maybe those guys can have a bigger impact on sort of the chemistry of the roster and how the team plays. You know, there's no excuse to have the worst defense in the entire NBA for this roster, period. Now, it wouldn't take a lot to me to make that significantly better next season with improvements on the fringes, like a guy like a Marcus Smart or some toughness in the middle or, or someone who's you know going to keep them accountable. So I do think there's ways for Monty McNair to improve this roster without hitting the home run. I understand why we all want the home run, but I want the home run. But I do think a, a savvy general manager can make some moves like he did with Darrell Wright and Terrence Davis to improve the roster um, without maybe hitting that home run. 
Well, I'll tell you one thing, and, and you're right. I couldn't agree more about Marcus Smart. He's not a, he wouldn't be a home run, but it yeah, would yeah. be a boy. It could be a, a real double for sure. And stand up yeah, double. Stand up double and, and, sure. uh, and he's young enough. He's still got, he shoots better now than he did. You know, he's getting better in most areas. Uh, I, I, you know, it's just a matter of what you'd have to give up to, for a player like that. But, but, you know, no disrespect to, to Harrison or anyone, but I, I think this team, you know, it, probably Harrison Barnes is a better player than Marcus Smart, yep. but I'd make that trade tomorrow. Uh, you know, I, I just think just from the, 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 the toughness aspect, something, a little edginess, uh, somebody that maybe will get into uh, Fox and Halliburton and, and whoever and say, guys, get your shit together now. And, and, and I mean, and like I say, it's a little bit of the Mon Shumpert thing, except he's way, way, way better. <laughs> he, he's way, way, way better. And so, you know, that, but, but I do think that that's the kind of thing you have to look at that, that okay, the analytics don't, don't fill, don't, don't make fill a bill. I mean, you, you, when you talk about chemistry and all that, I mean, those are the kind of things that, that created or winning culture, you know, the winning culture is created by winning. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. that's a, until you get guys who can help you win. Don't be surprised if you don't have it. And right now the Kings don't have enough of it. They got some guys that probably could be part of it. I, I believe that, but uh, they, they, this team really needs that hard edge guy out there somewhere. Somebody that that's going to knock somebody's dick in the dirt. I'm telling you. Yeah. And not to speculate on a trade that isn't going to, it only exists in our minds and on this podcast, but somebody like a Marcus smart would do what, if, if you're going to have a coach like Luke Walton, where all the players love him, you're going to have to have somebody in that organization. And I assume it's going to be a player. If it's not going to be the coach that gets up in people's grill, that gets in people's face, that, that pisses guys off and pisses opponents off and allows that fire to come out of both uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halberton, two guys who are, they, they, they're intelligent guys, they're nice guys, but they don't, I, from what I've seen, they don't have that edge on them. They don't have a, they don't play pissed off. They, they play good, heady basketball. And, and Marcus Smart would be a guy who every practice would be smacking De'Aaron Fox in the arm and fouling him harder than maybe he needs to and, and pushing those guys in a direction where, you saw Chemezi Metu get his arm broken last year by uh, uh, in that Memphis Grizzlies game, and not a single person went over and even bodied uh, Jonas Valanciunas, I believe. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. And no, nobody did anything for that one. Marcus Smart wouldn't. Marcus Smart wouldn't stand back and just allow Chemezi Metu to writhe on on the floor. Marcus Smart would be up in that guy's face. And I think the Kings, if, if they're going to have a nice coach and they're going to have two nice guys as their, as their one A's and one B's right now, they need to have a guy that, that comes in and puts an elbow in your face when, when you do stuff like that. So I think you're right. Well, too, you know, I mean, I always said Brad Stevens, really, he's really the nicest guy ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I mean, I think part of the reason it's worked so well over the years with the Celtics is because of they have the, had a couple of guys like that, Marcus in particular. Now, of course, they've had so many injuries and different things, things change. And, and, you know, uh, maybe the continuity has run its course, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I just think you, you've, you know, every team that wins seems to have uh, somebody like that, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you just, 
I mean, the, the Kings, when they were good, you know, it really, you know, had some had some fairly tough-minded guys. I mean, Seaweb would, would set you down a little bit, and, and Blotty was fit, more physical than people realized. I mean, yeah, but this team just really is just too soft, for, for want of a better term. And I, and I, and I don't think that it's uh, f- forever. You know, I mean, I think you've got some guys that just don't quite quite get it, you know, that, no, this isn't acceptable. We can't be, we can't lead the league in group hugs, you know, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we can be sportsmen, but we don't have to be the most pleasant losers in the history of mankind. Uh, yes. You know, just, just be, you know, just make it a little tougher. That's all. I know I'm old school, but boy, it does it does just wear me out to see the group hugs at the end of the game and just like, well, well, geez, boy, you guys really play good. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> and then, you know, you kicked our ass. Ha 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 ha. You know, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of better team, let's let's roll in now to uh, to a thing that we haven't gotten to see the Kings in in a while, and that's the playoffs. So, so I just want your guys' uh, opinions on, uh, on what games you're watching, what series that have, have really drawn your interest the most, what storylines out of the, the many storylines that have come out of uh, the first round of the playoffs. What, what have you been enjoying about these playoffs spe- uh, specifically? So, Jerry, I'll go to you first. Which, uh, which series of all these have you enjoyed watching the most? Uh, the Hawks and the Knicks uh, the most, uh, just because of their two great uh, – turnaround storylines, you know, fourth and fifth in the East and the two outstanding coaches, two teams that really are trying to play it right, you know, and so for the Hawks, I think are the most talented team and they're, they're leading, but that, that, that has been the most fun for me. And definitely, uh, you know, I mean, they, they get after it. Uh, like I say, I mean, it's a, to me, it's, it's really fun basketball. Of course, you know, I watch the Suns and the Lakers because I hate the Lakers. Let me repeat that. I hate the Lakers. So any, every loss, I mean, I, I yesterday I was just almost euphoric, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those joys of life, you know? So, <laughs> so that one, uh, you know, I, I think, so that those, those are the, probably the two, I mean, you know, there's so much to watch and I think that, you know, there's too, too many games. So we'll get into that some other time, but period. But uh, those are two that I like the most. You know, the one thing I, I've enjoyed about that Hawks Knicks series is I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that the Knicks seem to have struggled a little bit in their kind of first uh, playoffs back in a while, but I, I love seeing uh, bogey play playoff basketball and everybody in Sacramento knew that he would rise to the occasion when the playoffs happened for him eventually. And it's, it's vindicating almost for Sacramento fans to see Bogdanovich just, just kick some ass. And it's been a lot of fun to watch him. I've, I've enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh, me too. I mean, he has really played good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy has really been a good, other than Trey Young, I don't know who's more valuable on that team. I probably click Capella, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's, he's played terrific. And, uh, you know, of course I, I enjoy the Knicks just because I, I do respect to know coach Thibodeau and, you know, one of the, the kind of the forgotten parts of that team, I think, is is Thibodeau bringing in, of course, Derrick Rose and Gibson. Now, Rose is certainly playing terrific, and Gibson's a role player. But, I mean, that's part of what we kind of talked about, the winning culture thing. I mean, Tibbs knows I need some of my guys who get it, you know, to add to. 
you know, the Randalls and those guys. But I, and I think that had a huge part of their success. You know, as their roles got bigger, uh, as the year went on, the Knicks got better. It wasn't and not a coincidence. Tony, what about you? What are you watching? I'm a big, uh, I'm a big misery loves company guy when it comes to being an NBA fan. You know, I was talking about how, you know, other teams getting desperate, like the Celtics. I love watching the Clippers lose. They have so much riding on this season and seeing them get put in an uncomfortable spot. Or like Jerry was saying, watching the Suns beat the Lakers, that's gotta be very uncomfortable for the Lakers. I love seeing these teams kind of get back in the mud with, uh, with, you know, Kings fans who never have anything to celebrate. I, I like knocking teams off a little bit. Like I, I loved when the Grizzlies were, were a little bit more competitive with Utah. So anytime, you know, sort of the, the lowly franchises can, can rise up and, and take out the, the big market, you know, corporations, uh, that's what I'm into. So I, I'm, I'm rooting for Dallas, even though the, the Luca thing still hurts, but man, the Clippers have so much riding on, them not getting bounced in the first round that if that actually happened i i just want to see it i want to see how that how that uh gets destroyed so that, that's what i'm watching i'm watching for teams to to get some misery in the first round you know the uh the tough one for me is is denver and portland because yes. i really like really like and know both coaches and and really a just admire both of them and their teams are fun to watch and i don't want either one of them to lose you know what i mean it's yes so it's yeah. uh you know, it's just really, I, I, I need to, I need to have a rooting interest in somebody to win, you know, to... <laughs> that's Jerry. That was going to be my, my series that I, I, I love watching these LA teams, uh, especially their fans be scared. You know, you can tell that there's, you can see the fear in their eyes and there's blood in the water and there's sharks swimming around. And I love that for those LA franchises, but the nuggets and trailblazers, I can understand both of those teams. And I would love to see either of those teams in the Western conference finals or in the finals. Yeah, yes. So having to watch them in the first round is hard. And so I've enjoyed watch, like, I don't know who I'm rooting for and it changes quarter by quarter sometimes going like, Oh, you know, Dame's pulling me just, Oh, I really love what Jokic is doing. And it, yeah. it's just one of those things that it's like, it's hard basketball to watch. Cause I love them both so much. And uh, that, that to me makes it, that much more enjoyable is that they can you can see your uh, your own brain doing flips on who you want to win the series so um so let's see here let's uh tony let, why don't we go ahead and go to our uh, patreon question of the day and uh, and we'll wrap this one up sure um as all the listeners of this podcast know every week on this show we ask jerry one question from our king's herald patrons and then um, any submitted questions that don't get asked here in the main show we drop one full q a every month where we take all the the uh extra questions that were cast aside and we answer those too. So keep submitting questions. We're going to get to them either on this show or on the Patreon show. Jerry, I'm going to bring you down a little bit this week if you weren't down already, because I, I just want to hear what you have to say about this. Um, we got a question here from Mickey Ronan on Twitter. And he said, uh, I've always been interested in asking Jerry what it was like to be part of the organization during that 43 game road losing streak between 90 and 91. I know he wasn't the coach, but not sure if he was in the front office or broadcast then. And, and what was it like just being uh, surrounded by all the losing? Yeah, it was, it was awful. It was just awful. You know, I mean, uh, you knew the team wasn't very good and, and uh, but should have done, you know, should have done better, should have got some wins in there. So I, I, I would just say, you know, the old saying it was the best of times, the worst of times. Well, that would be the worst of times. And, uh, and then, you know, that was Dick Mata was a coach. And honestly, uh, uh, I really didn't like Dick, uh, you know, it's hard to be around Dick. 
Dick was a dick. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and he, you know, they basically, he was, you know, just, he kind of blamed everybody but himself, you know, and I always thought, you know, well, you know, team, when teams win, everybody's got, got a role in it. And when teams lose, everybody's got a role in it. And it's like, you know, I, I think you had kind of, but, you know, I mean, Dick had been a great coach before he got to Sacramento and, and, and I honestly just always felt that he just, uh, it was a retirement uh, plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. yeah, just a little bit. Less. And quite honestly, I think George Carl was about the yeah. same way. Sure. And, and I think that's what you have to be because it's a, you know, it's a highly energetic job and you've got to put in the time and effort uh, and to, to do anything. And I, and I, so I thought that was just made it even worse. You know, I mean, certainly with, we've had losing teams, but you know, with a Paul Westfall or, or Tyrone Corbin or Kenny Nat or Eric, well, I mean, they were all, you, you could, you know, get along with, you know, and understand and, and, and all that. So, so that, that had a lot to do. I don't know if I'd answer your question, but yeah, it was, it was a terrible time uh, and made more terrible. <laughs> and uh, although I, I, I will say this, that the one Dick had a great line, all time, great line. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the first year the Kings flew a uh, commercial on the, the, of course the, the plane was dubbed air ball one for <laughs> you know, one of the players for, 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 for a good reason. But he said, when they finally won a game on the road, I uh, said in uh, Orlando, and he said, "Yeah, if I hadn't been for that uh, flying, you know, flying charter, we probably wouldn't have won that game." So, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, that's uh, that, that was the positive of the year on that. So I don't know if that answered your question, but it was it was uh, just terrible. Jerry, I'm, I'm always curious only because uh, I do have the opportunity to have you here and talk to you, and I don't want to throw you in the dirt even more. But Mata was replaced. Dick was brought in to replace you, correct? Right. Uh huh. Now, where did you after that? How did that conversation go? I've, I've always wondered what it's like sitting down with an owner who's like, "Hey, Jerry, get the hell out of your office. We're bringing Dick Mata in." Well, actually, it was on the case where I actually had the choice. They fired uh, Bill Russell uh, from general manager, and uh, the owner said, "You know, told me basically, you you know, if you can keep coaching and oh, and." do a front office job or just step out and, and, and do a front office job. He said, I, I won't, can't make you the general manager because Bill, uh, you know, will make you director of player personnel under Rick Benner, the president of the team and that sort of thing. And, and I remember telling him, talk to my wife about it. And I, she said, well, what, what do you think's best? And I said, well, uh, this team isn't going to win. So uh, eventually I've got a choice now, uh, later on, I probably won't have <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. and so i i would rather uh, step out and and you know and, and assist in getting a you know the a different coach in here and and quite honestly uh and i don't dick wasn't my choice really i you know my feeling was at that time uh john mcleod i thought would have been a a better choice uh, at that time he was available and I thought would have fit the team better. And I was, and I think there was a chance we could have got Dell Harris who I oh, thought would have been a, a much, much better choice, but, you know, ownership uh, at that time had their own ideas, which they, you know, they, they had every right to do. And so Dick was their choice. And, and I, I thought it would go better than it did with Dick. Cause I know I'd been a fan of his as a, 
watching his teams in Chicago and Washington over the years. You know, he'd been a terrific coach, been out a couple of years, and I thought he would it would go well. But, uh, you know, just one of those things that it really didn't. Uh, you know, I always remember in his interview, he talked about how much he'd, he just looked forward to coaching this guy and that guy that we had on the team. And then within about two weeks after getting the job, I was like, we got to get rid of this guy. I got to get rid of that guy. <laughs> and so, so anyway, but, but uh, sure. yeah, that was, uh, so that was a kind of a, a unique learning experience for me. And like I say, I, it was, it was the middle of the year and, and uh, you know, the, it just was one of those things where looking back, I did the right thing. I, I mean, and I, I, didn't you know it's just I just wish uh and I don't know that McLeod would have done a lot better either don't get me wrong sure. uh, I think the team wasn't that good and uh you know were there you know we'd have kept probably losing I think uh, it might have been a little more pleasant losing sure. <laughs> you know yeah. you know I mean I, I, some of that you know so anyway well let's uh let's get then now to uh to the Reynolds wrap-up Jerry what do you have for us today well you know my thoughts uh, just really it goes to the officiating of the NBA uh just watching it and and, and honestly I I think there's so much scrutiny attached to the officials now that I think it's made them even worse you know I think we see you know, probably more missed calls. I think about having, uh, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'd almost go back to the days of two officials and I think games were officiated better. I think guys missed a lot of calls, but they'd make up for it on their own. <laughs> you know, an Earl Strong would miss a call. Yeah, I missed that one. I'll get you on. I'll get the next one for you, you know? And, uh, but at the end of it, if uh, the teams that deserve to win usually won, and uh, it just seems like with all the scrutiny and then not just, uh, you know, certainly the media, you know, they, I, I know I was watching Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jones. And I mean, uh, uh, Mark Jackson, excuse me. And they were just, I mean, it's just like a, a nothing but a second guessing fest. You know, what's, what's the point of that? What, what is the point? And then, and it's led to, in my mind, and, and I don't have fans think, but, but I mean, every call is just bitched and moaned and players just, I mean, just like it's uh, the biggest call of the, of the seven game series or something. And I, I just think it's over the top and it's hurting the game. Uh, people say, well, they've been, players have been complaining for years. I said, yes, they have. But I said, you go back and watch some games in the nineties or eighties and they bitched, but it was not one tenth of what we're seeing now. Not one tenth. And, and I think it's, uh, it's just on the border of getting out of hand and it leads to, I think, a lot of the problems that you see with fans because they, they are convinced every call is against their team, you know, either via the media or the, mm -hmm. or the, the exhibitions on the floor. And I, I mean, at some point it's like, uh, get, get control of this. Uh, whining and bitching and whimpering on every call is not going to change it and it serves no purpose and it, it's bad for the game, bad for the game. Now, and I'm, I did as much bitching as anybody, but I, I just think it's, uh, it's just a terrible, terrible thing for young, young players too. You know, that when, when you're, when your heroes are out there, you know, whining about, Oh, I got fouled on this strip when they, and then they show the replay and it's clearly a clean play, you know, I mean, ah, that well, 
anyway, I, I'm sorry, but but I, it just it takes a lot of the fun out of the game for me, to tell you the truth. Just a lot of it out. Well, for everyone here at, uh, at the King's Herald, uh, I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode. Uh, stick with us through the offseason. We are still going to continue having episodes every two weeks for as, uh, for as long as we can until Jerry decides we've just gotten too boring and he, and he, and he quits basketball altogether. But, <laughs> it, it, it could happen. <laughs> but in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll be bringing you content every two weeks and uh, we'll find something to talk about. We always do. Uh, thank you again for, for listening. And if you ever have a chance to uh, like, rate, and subscribe us wherever you find your podcast, we greatly appreciate it. Thanks for everyone. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.